Welcome back, everybody, to the channel. If you were with us last night, I'm so glad. If you weren't, Happy New Year, and welcome into Deep Dive uh, on Wednesday nights, 7.30, with your host, Tim Hatch. Here on the channel, Tim Hatch Live. Make sure that you hit that subscribe button, the like button, the notification bell, all that stuff, so that you can get notified when we go live, like tonight, with Romans chapter 6. It is Deep Dive Bible Study Season 5, Episode 13. Yeah, so we're behind on the uh, episode listing. You know, we just had deep, deep end, I think episode 14, right? So now we're doing episode 13 of Deep Dive. Don't worry, we'll make it up. We'll make it up. We'll we'll get it all right in a couple of weeks or maybe this week. I don't know. But it is my pleasure to welcome you back in verse by verse going through the book of Romans. And today is an important study as we talk about the bondage of the human will. Let's get into it right after this prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word and to study it. Thank you that it brings life, it brings peace, it brings joy to our hearts. Lord, open our hearts and our minds and our ears. Help us to hear, help us to receive, help us to be renewed today through the teaching of your word. Help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Let's get into it. Romans. just me or is that kind of soft? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know. Anyway, not to worry. Romans chapter 6 verse 15 to 23 and we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we went through Romans chapter 6 in in the last year. Excuse me. Still getting over my sickness. So by God's grace, we'll get through this teaching. But we talked about this, that it's January, right? And it's the time in which of year in which we always try to change ourselves. And then we learn that very quickly, usually, that we cannot change ourselves. In fact, I talked about this last time on the deep dive, if you remember, because uh, we're turning a page in Romans chapter 6 through Romans chapter 8 on how real change happens. January 12th, which is today, friends, today is January 12th, if you're watching this live, is National End Your Resolution Day, uh, meaning that this is usually about the time of year when we give up on the resolution to eat right, exercise more, I don't know, maybe go to church. Hopefully, you're not giving that one up. But whatever the whatever the decision that you made, oh, I'm going to change, I'm going to improve, I'm going to be back, become better, today is the day that most people say, you know what, can't do it, so might as well not even try. Well, that brings me to Romans chapter 6, because here's the theme of Romans chapter 6 through 8. The theme is how real change happens, how real change happens. You can change some things about you, but you can also not actually be changed in those realities, right? There's two types of change, what I'm saying. There's real change where you are transformed from the inward person. And then there are you know, external, uh, superfluous, you know, superficial changes, things that, that, that you could change, like you could change your hair, you could change your uh, diet, you could change your schedule, but really you're not changed, it's just you've changed where you are, where you are located. And that's what Romans chapter 6 is going to really dive into deep dive into, which is that there's change, but then there's real, the change that God brings about. And when we were on the the uh, this series of messages last time, we talked about some important doctrines that that grace doesn't give us 
the opportunity to just do what we want. We talked about antinomianism, right? What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means, Paul says, Romans 6, chapter 1, and uh, Romans, 6, Romans 6, verse 1 to 2. Uh, then we talked about union with Christ, that that our lives are fused, if you will, with Jesus Christ. And that's that's who we are. And, and now we're going to deep dive into that idea of our union with Christ here in the last half of Romans chapter 6. Going up to the Bible camp, we're going to pick it up at verse 15, and we're going to get into uh, what it meant back then when Paul wrote these words. So let's get into that, what it meant. Romans chapter 6, verse 15, let's dig in. What then, he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Now, that sounds a lot like the question from Romans chapter 6, verse 1, right? What was what was Romans chapter 6, verse 1? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means or certainly not. The, the, the emphatic wording there in verse 2, no, absolutely not. Grace does not give us the permission or the allowance to continue in sin. He repeats the question, what then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace after his conversation about how we're dead to sin alive to God? Well, he asks another like follow-up question, like same idea now. Well, we're, in, we're not under law but under grace, so I guess grace gives us the permission to sin. No, by no means. Same word from verse 2 back here in verse 15 is absolutely not. That that your, your position in Christ, your grace that has been given to you in Christ— to become God's child is never in any respect a license, permission, or the, you know, per, the, the allowance to continue to sin. And he's going to dig deeper here because of what sin does. Let's look at the text after he answers his own question with the words, by no means. Let's look at it, what he says in verse 16. Do you not know, okay, don't you know this, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Okay, so this is important terminology that Paul is going to kind of really uh, start here and bring right into uh, chapter 7, which before it was about the power of sin over your life in the first part of chapter 6. Now it's about slavery to sin, that you have been set free, Paul says, from slavery to sin. And th this is going to lead to a conversation around free will in just a moment. So just hang in because this, this conversation, this topic is important incredibly important to Christians today. In fact, I would argue that the world and the moral order that we are experiencing right now, the, if you will, disillusion of moral order, the deterioration of moral absolutes, is because in the 16th century, we answered the question of human will wrongly. And by that, I mean in the cultural West, the in, in, in popular culture, if you will. And what we are experiencing, the breakdown of norms, the breakdown of laws, uh, like we talk about on the channel in the deep end all the time, you know, New York City no longer making um, uh, 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 burglary a felony. I think that was what it was. Anyway, uh, the, the, the destruction of civil order is because we answered a question that Romans 6 answers wrongly in the 16th century. I'm going to get there in just a moment. 
But Paul is talking about this idea of slavery. He says, don't you know that if you present your bodies or yourselves to anyone as a slave, you become a slave to that one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Something is going to be your master, he says. Something is going to be your master. Now, in Christ, we are set free from slavery to sin, which means, as we have discussed in this channel before, that you are now free to not sin. You are now, it doesn't mean you're never going to sin. That's perfection. That happens at the return of Christ. But what it does mean is that the power to, to choose not to sin is now yours in Christ Jesus. But you're still going to wrestle with that old nature. Just like the Israelites who came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt, they went through the wilderness, and they started to long for the old habits, the, the old um, appetites of Egypt, right? They wanted to go back and eat the onions and the leeks and all that kind of stuff. And so they were freed from the power of Egypt, but they were not free necessarily from the presence of Egypt. Egypt was still in them, in their habits, in their actions. Well, Christians, that's the case for you. You're going to come into Christ. You're going to be set free from the, um, the lack of power or slavery uh, over sin. Now Christ has set you free. But something is going to be wrestling with you to drag you back to your Egypt, drag you back to your old life. And this is going to be the reality of your Christian experience every day. And it's always going to be something, and I I like to think it's always going to be someone, that is going to be the, the chief rival to your devotion to God. Something is going to be your master or someone is going to be your master. Maybe your master is money. And so you're constantly checking your stocks, checking your retirement balances, checking your bank accounts. You you are um, always thinking about what is it going to cost me? Your whole life is dominated by how much does it cost? That's the first question about everything in your life. How much does it cost? You, you don't worry about anything. Like You don't go on vacation. You don't try to enjoy anything because you don't want to you know, pay for it. And really what it is, is not that you're cheap. It's that money is your master. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not money. Maybe it's a lover. And so uh, this is very uh, common for young people, nine, uh, teen to 20 year olds, even a 30 year olds, a, a lover. You want a spouse. You want someone to love you romantically. So Christians, beware of this. You'll compromise your standards. You'll give into them sexually before you're married. You will follow their lead in <clears throat> the important you know, venues of life rather than God's lead. And, and that's because not that you have a struggle with uh, your, your, your sexual life it's because that lover has become your master. Maybe it's a child and this is big for parents. You get really, um, really protective or obsessive over your kids, their behaviors, their likes, their dislikes, how they're treated in school. You're the father who's yelling at the ump during the game from the stands, or you're yelling at the coach, even worse, from the stands. You know, it's all about your kids. You can't ever stop talking about your kids. And if one of your kids is no longer a Christian or is, is walking away from you, you, you've literally lost your own faith because everything is tied up in your life to the the uh, result of that child. And really maybe it's not that the child is your master, but your own parenting and your own skills as a parent, your own validation as a parent is really your master. So when someone is in charge of you, you're going to change your life to make that person happy. It's 
It's slavery is what Paul says. Or maybe it's a job. And so you're working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. You never have time for family. You never have time for friends. Don't take a day off. You actually think it's actually a righteous thing. It's a good thing. It's a moral thing. But no, really what happened is your job became your master. Maybe it's fame, importance, significance, accolades. Uh, This is what every broken child who boards a bus and heads to Hollywood is going through. They they want fame. They want to make up for the absence that their parents uh, gave them, you know, their, or didn't the lack of presence their parents gave them or, or whatever. I re- I'll never forget, uh, I think it was about seven or eight years ago, Ellen DeGeneres hosted the Oscars. And, and in what was a very funny speech, she also made a very telling statement. And I'll never forget the statement that she made. Um, actually, it's such a good statement. I'm going to put it up on the screen. She said this, we all know the most important thing is lo- in life is love and friendships and family. And if people don't have those things, well, then they usually get into show business. End quote. Like she's spot on there, right? If you don't have the things that you need, those basic necessities life in life, love, friendships, family, whatever, you'll try to find them anywhere you can. So there's this idol. It's not that you want to be famous. It's that you have made love and accolades and, and celebration of you the most important thing. You're serving, you're enslaved to that. Interestingly enough, Ellen DeGeneres just came under fire last year because she was pretty much a slave master over her employers, uh, employees, and they all kind of rebelled against her during the pandemic and said working for her was, was a disaster, was terrible. Here's the reality. The reality is most of us are not mindful of the mistake that Adam made. And that's what I want to say to you first. Be mindful of the mistake of Adam because here's what we do. Here's what the human race does. We look at our lives. We see something is missing. We see something needs to change. We need to be better. We need to be, uh, you know, improved. Something presents itself as that thing, money, children, a lover, fame, whatever. And we will look at that thing and we'll think that's going to make us who we need to be. It was the original temptation, right? The original, you will be like God, the devil said. You will be like God. Well, the problem is that they forgot, number one, they were already like God because they were made in his image. Number two, uh, they were listening to the voice of Satan, which went completely against the voice of God. Don't eat that one tree. You can eat every other tree, but not that one. And they, they felt God was, you know, holding them back. They were convinced by the devil. Here's their mistake. They were convinced by the devil that God was holding them back. And so they willfully chose to follow the devil's voice and uh, grab on to their own quote-unquote freedom or self-actualization. And what they ended up with was slavery. The the mistake of Adam, and I say Adam because God held him federally responsible. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago on the deep dive is that in seeking his freedom, he abdicated it and became a slave leading to death. And that is all of our uh, realities because of Adam. All of us are enslaved to sin because Adam, thinking he was going to get freedom, uh, chose sin, chose the devil, and enslaved us all. And now we are born in sin, slaves to sin, born with the sin nature. And we need salvation and redemption and transformation through the power of almighty 
God. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says that in the very first passage of the idea of slavery. And then in verse 17, look what he says. He says, thanks be to God. And I love that phrase because he's breaking out into praise right here. But thanks be to God. We used to be slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness, okay? Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. Look at this phrase, from the heart. Okay, that's important because there can be external obedience where you adhere to a certain a set of norms or standards in a church setting or in a, in, a, in a cultural setting. But but there's a difference between that and obedience from the heart. And I want to say something. Let me just pause here while it's on my mind. There is in uh, the modern American West right now, there is this great falling away. We're seeing people walk away from the faith. In fact, COVID and the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and the race you know, racial tension and all that kind of stuff. And, and even Trump and, you know, 81% of evangelicals voted for Trump. So blah, blah, blah. I'm leaving the faith. I'm leaving the faith. I'm leaving the faith. And we had the great following. Look, they were only culturally aligned with the, the norms of Christian behavior. They were never truly uh, saved and converted to Christ. That's the important idea here. There is a huge, I can't, emphasize this enough. There's a huge difference between being culturally aligned with the church and being saved. And many generations have gone through this where it seems like the church is losing numbers because people are walking away from it. Oh, they lost faith. A lot of notable Christian artists even have come out as atheists, public atheists, no longer in the faith. And, you know, Joshua Harris, big name in, in evangelicalism, wrote that book, I Kissed Aiden Goodbye. Well, now he's kissed Christianity goodbye. I mean, these ideas that that these people were saved is not true. They were culturally conformed to the standards of Christian behavior, but they were not changed from the heart. And I want to make sure you understand that because there's a difference. And that's what Paul says here to the Romans. He says, you've become obedient from the heart. Your heart has been changed to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness, which is so important because here's the meat of the order, as they like to say. Notice what Paul says before us. You were slaves of sin, and now you are, now you are, transition, now you are slaves of righteousness. Difference? God. God took you from slavery to sin and made you a slave to righteousness. And he is the reason why you are what you are. Thanks be to God. Every Christian should walk through every day of his life saying, thanks be to God. I am what I am now Um, because I used to be a slave to sin and now I'm a slave of righteousness. But here's the big idea. Are you ready? Meet the order idea. Here we go. There's no such thing as true human independence. There's no such thing as true human independence. You are either a slave of sin or you are a slave of God. And I can't emphasize this enough. Verse 19 going on in the text. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Now, now he asked them to do something. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now notice the word present. Just as you once presented, okay, you once presented your members to, 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 to the lawlessness, to impurity, the things you wanted to do, whatever felt good, okay, now, now you must present your members to slaves to righteousness. In other words, you get to choose, Christian, 
Christians now, you get to choose what you worship because the word present here, and I want to circle it, the word present is a worship word. It's He's borrowing from the uh, Septuagint version of the Old Testament sacrifices where they came and they presented their offerings to God. It's a worship word. Your life, Christian, is either uh, being offered to God in worship of him for what he has made you to be or in worship to the things that you think are going to make you better, more improved, or happier, more fulfilled, right? What do you worship? What is your worship is what I'm saying. Again, uh, whatever you serve, you will be a slave to. Whatever you worship, you will be a slave to. I take you back to Romans chapter 1 because look at this Look at this passage here in Romans chapter 1. Uh, back in verse 18, let's go back to the Bible cam. Remember what he said? He said the wrath of God is revealed from, uh, from heaven against all ungodliness. Uh, it says this, that they, they knew God and, and, they, and they saw God. They could, they could understand that God exists, but they didn't worship him. They didn't honor him. They didn't give thanks to him. Uh, and then he says that they exchanged the glory of God for images resembling uh, men, birds, animals, creeping things. God gave them up, right? And they uh, dishonored their bodies because they exchanged the truth of God for life and, and truth of God for a lie. And then they worshiped and look and served the creature rather than creator. Whatever you worship, whatever you love most, you will worship, you will present. And so my friends, I'm telling you right now that if you are a Christian, the only true freedom that you can experience is worship of God. When he is number one, he is everything to you. And he says this, look, look at, look at the phrase leading to, right? You, you used to present your members to slaves and, and it led to more lawlessness. You, you gave yourself to lawlessness, you worshiped it and, it, and it led to more lawlessness. Well, now worship, you know, present your members to slaves to righteousness, which will lead to, okay, this is the key idea. There's a leading that happens in whatever you're serving in either direction. You either lead yourself to more lawlessness or you lead yourself to more sanctification. Let me just say, every Christian listening to me, there's no way that you can ever find fulfillment or satisfaction in sin. There's just no way. You will always fail to be satisfied in sin if you're a Christian. Let me give you an Old Testament example because it's a powerful example, and it comes from the life of Samson. Remember, Samson was called to deliver Israel, but he ended up just being enslaved by her enemies. And Samson's life is really an illustration of the nation of Israel because they were supposed to be lice of the nation. Instead, they became enslaved to the passions of the nations. And, and, and Samson's life ends like this in Judges chapter 16, verse 21. It says, the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. We preachers like to say, that um, sin uh, blinds you, binds you, and grinds you. That's what happened to Samson, right? He was blinded, he was grinded, no, bound, and then he was, and then he, and he was grinded. <laughs> Bad English, <laughs> you get the point. Sin bi- blinds you, binds you, and grinds you. Well, it didn't start that way, right? He didn't start <laughs> where he was just subjected to the Philistines. It started because he was a Nazarite from birth, and Nazarites were supposed to, uh, were supposed to avoid three things, the fruit of the vine, dead bodies, and cutting their hair. So it started not with uh, Delilah. Let's, let's look at the text way back in the beginning of Samson's life. In Judges 14, it says he went down to Timnah, 
And Timnay saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. This is not Delilah. This is a different Philistine girl. He came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Timnah, I want to I want to get her for me as, a, as my wife. Well, they didn't like it, but the Lord was using it. And then in verse 5, it says they went down. Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. And he takes that lion and he kills the lion. And then eventually, later on in the story, he passes by that lion's dead body, reaches in, has some honey, and feeds himself. Okay, so two things. Two things. Remember, out of the three things that a Nazarite wasn't supposed to do, uh, fruit of the vine, not supposed to touch wine. Number two, no dead bodies. And then number three, no cutting your hair. We think that the hair was the issue. The hair was not the issue. The hair was not the issue. The, the issue was that he first went down to the vineyards of Timnah. He first went down to where they developed wine. Why are you going there? That's not where you're supposed to go. Secondly, he starts falling in love with the Philistine women before Delilah. So he has this weakness and he keeps going toward it and going toward it. And before you know it, he is he was a slave to the Philistines. But he was a Jew. He was an elective God. And God used his death to bring about the deliverance of Israel and, you know, so on and so forth. And it actually turned out for the redemption of the Israelites temporarily. But nonetheless, the point is this. It's a warning for God's people. It's a warning for God's people. If you give yourself over to these things, if you follow this stuff, you follow the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the the desires for having more, getting more, being more, whatever, you will become a slave to it. And it will lead to something. It'll lead to slavery, to the things of this world. And you, Christian, will be will be a, a disaster, a, an emotional disaster, a mental disaster, a, a spiritual disaster. This is not who you are meant to be. And Paul reminds them. He reminds them in verse 20. He says, remember when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. In other words, you couldn't obey God because you didn't want to obey God. You were slave. Your nature, your inward person was not interested in God at all. But then he says this, remember the fruit? Remember the fruit, verse 21. What, what, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Everybody understands this who's a Christian. Every Christian should understand this. That when you indulge the lust of the flesh, you get death. You get shame. You get guilt. You get disgrace. Um, and, and again, it doesn't start. Like, men, it doesn't start with sleeping with a woman who's not your wife. It starts with you entertaining lustful thoughts toward women who are not your wife. Uh, It doesn't start with uh, overwhelming credit card debt. It starts with a desire for more things and a credit card application, right? It has fruit. What you do has fruit fruit and it leads to something and it's so important that you get this it's so important that you understand the picture here of what he's saying because he's talking to christians not non-christians non-christians can't apply this to their life they need jesus first but christians can you can't go back to that way you cannot indulge the flesh anymore because you will become enslaved to it you get caught up in it again and you have been set free from it and now through the power of christ you can choose to walk away from it one of the illustrations that I like to use to the to to talk about this is um, my absolute favorite snack, and I'm going to do a little bit of free advertising here for a company. I, I hate to do it, but I got to do it because one of my absolute favorite snacks in all the world is this right here. In fact, my wife gave me a book about me. She wrote this little book for my Christmas present about me, and she talked about this. It was a little book where you fill in the blanks about whoever you love, and she <laughs> filled in the blank. Your favorite snack would be right here: Lay's sour cream and onion. Is there any better chip? on the face of the earth and lays sour cream and onion. I submit there is not. But what is the, what's the famous uh, commercial phrase from Lay's potato chips? Bet you can't eat just what? One, right? Can I tell you that that's probably the most true advertisement statement 
ever made in human history. You can't eat just one. You eat, I'm not eating, you notice that I'm not eating one right now because I just had those for lunch. And you can't eat one. You eat one, you gotta eat two. That's what sin is. Sin is like Lay's sour cream and onion. Now, I'm not saying it's sinful to eat Lay's sour cream and onion, at least moderately. <laughs> but you can overindulge, right? And think about it. You eat one Lay's chip, you gotta eat two. Two leads to three. Three leads to 30. 30 leads to three bags. And before you know it, where are you? You're on the couch. You're overweight. You're susceptible to death by COVID because you don't take care of your body anymore. You have let lays turn you into a lazy human being who gets laid out by life, right? That's what he's saying about sin. Sin starts small and it eventually overtakes you and you become a slave to it. That's what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter six. And he says, but now that you've been set free from sin, verse 22, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You have been set free. These are, these are identity terms, Christians. You have been set free from sin. Sin does not have to have control of your life anymore. You have become slaves of God. God is now in control of your life. He has brought you out of slavery to sin and into slavery to himself. And here's the deal. You're not free. <laughs> You're not independent. You don't have free will. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Here's the question though. Whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? Verse, six, verse 17, you were once slaves of sin. Verse 18, you become slaves of righteousness. See, sin promises all the things that only God can deliver. Sin promises money, approval, status, significant power, love, acceptance, whatever, your lifestyle. God, only God can actually provide those things. You see, the thing is, is that here, here's what sin does. Sin sets up all of these things here in this category as our God. Money is our God. Approval is our God. Status. We want significance. We want power. We want love. So we'll compromise our values. We'll compromise who we are. We'll follow the crowd. We'll follow the lust. We'll follow the desire. Thinking that if we get these things, we'll be happy and satisfied and at ease. But really, no. And, and, and the thing is, is that these things are not in themselves bad, right? It is God, though, who is over all those things and, and owns all those things and provides all those things for his people free of charge. And this is the reality. You are either a slave to those things or you freely receive those things from your father who loves you and cares for you. But back to my big point for today. Are you ready for this? Big point. You do not have free will. You do not have free will. And I say this important. I say this with great stress because there is a misnomer in the biblical, in the Christian faith, not the biblical faith, in the Christian faith. There's this misnomer that we have free will. And some of you still think this. You think, well, I chose Jesus and, and I made the decision and I, and I came to my senses and I, and I put my faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but God did something before that happened. I tell you this all the time on the channel. Some of you still don't get it. It is God and God alone who saves. Only two humans had free will. Only two, two humans had free will. Adam and Christ. And Adam chose to use his freedom to enslave the human race. And Christ, Christ chose to use his freedom to submit to God and his authority, to suffer and die for us, and his seemingly shameful death was actually the pathway to our freedom. And you are either in Christ or you are still in Adam. You are either in Adam following the flesh, following the course of this world, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, following the prince of the power of the air, just going with the flow. Listen, a non-Christian follows the crowd. 
A non-Christian listens to the news and buys it 100%. A non-Christian listens to what the politician tells him, says, absolutely, I am following that politician. Right-handed politician, left-handed politician. A non-Christian blindly follows the crowd because they are following the course of this world. Whatever flavor it is, they're following the the course of this world. A Christian follows the will of the Lord. His heart, he comes, he becomes obedient from the Lord. His heart can only find joy and satisfaction and peace in the will of God. Um, I bring you back to the book of Exodus again and again because it is such an important proof text for all that Paul talks about. When he's talking about slavery, you know he's thinking as a Jew to, back to the people of Israel. They were brought out of slavery. They were brought out of Egypt, right? But what does it say? In Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, what does it say? It says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself, okay, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all people for all the earth is mine. And then in chapter 20, he says, now this is what you're going to do. No gods before me, no idols, no name in vain, honor the Sabbath, you know, Ten Commandments. Okay, please note that they got delivered from serving Egypt to serving God. There was no demilitarized zone. There is no DMZ in the spiritual life. You are either a slave to God or a slave to this world, slave to sin, slave to death, slave to Satan, whatever. You're, You're not free. What I'm trying to tell you is please get this in your heart. You are not independent. You are not. And I would suggest, and I will get back to this in just a moment, that it's not something you serve, it's someone. And I'll get, I'm going to table that, I'm going to put a pin in that, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But we've got to get some doctrine time. So let's get there uh, about the freedom of the will. Okay, today's edition of Doctrine Time. We, we've got to talk about the human will. Uh, this is a conversation that has been ongoing in human history since the dawn of Christianity, really the dawn of Christianity. The, 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 the theologians that we should pay attention to, I referenced this earlier, the 16th century theologians, one of them, I wouldn't really even call a theologian. His name was Erasmus. Uh, and then the other guy is Martin Luther, who was a theologian. And I really say that Erasmus wasn't a theologian because Erasmus was more of a pragmatist. He was more of a uh, philosopher, if you will. Uh, He absolutely believed in Christ. He wanted to serve Christ and he wanted the world to serve Christ. And he wanted, and both men, by the way, wanted the church to do better. The church had a horrible reputation. There was, uh, they were selling indulgences, uh, the Roman Catholic church, that is, they were uh, abusing their powers. The, the, the popes were having, uh, you know, uh, uh, they were having, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, <laughs> I hate when I have this block in my mind. They were having, you know, sexual orgies. There it is. Orgies within the Vatican. I mean, it was a big fat mess. And, and all the historians attest to this. Well, both of these men wanted to improve the church. Erasmus and Luther, though, came into dispute over the human will. Erasmus thought that though there was a freedom to the human will, the, that, that, that we were uh, free to choose God or free to choose sin. Uh, Martin Luther said the exact opposite. We are not free. We are not free. We cannot 
choose God. Only God can intervene in our helpless estate, change our hearts so that we choose him and only find our joy and fulfillment in him. Erasmus was the first humanist, by the way. This is a very important discussion for anybody in college in philosophy. Okay, listen, Erasmus, even to this day, atheists will hearken back to Erasmus because he was the first human humanist. He was the first uh, secularist, if you will, even though he was a Christian who wanted to honor God and Christ with his life. But he defined free will as, quote, a power of the human will by which a man can apply himself to the things which lead to eternal salvation or turn away from them. So there is this the neutral ground between you and God, and you just either choose him or you don't. Luther said, no, 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 that's not true. Only, actually, let me get my history right. Luther first said what he said, and then Erasmus argued with Luther about it. So what Luther said was Luther said, it is not we, but only God who works salvation in us. Then before he works, we can do nothing of saving significance, whether we wish to or not. In other words, our will is bound. The bondage of the will he talked about. Now in our day, this conversation is still going on. In our day, what happened where we are right now as a world, is we followed the, and I'm not saying the church, I'm saying the culture, followed the trajectory of Erasmus. The secular humanists today are the offspring of Erasmus from the 16th century. Because what Erasmus did was eliminate the doctrines that make us who we are. He wasn't a big fan of doctrines. He was a big fan of Again, philosophy and and pragmatism and 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 trying to you know um, mentally uh, assent to a uh, more Christian life. You cannot do this. You cannot mentally assent to a Christian life. You either are transformed from within by Christ, or you are not. Now, this might sound boring, but it is emphatically important because this argument, again, has been going on for generations. In the fourth century, it was between two men, Pelagius and Augustine, and Augustine won the day in the church. After Erasmus and Luther, it was John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, and Jonathan Edwards uh, on the the bondage of the human will. Um, In every generation, listen to me very carefully, in every generation, the one that honors God and produces the most impact and life change is the one who sides with scripture and believes what Paul says here in Romans chapter six and what Luther backs up and Augustine backed up and Jonathan Edwards backed up is that this, that is that this foundational truth, man cannot save himself. God intervenes. We are set free from sin and slavery to sin. And now we are able through Christ to choose the good that God provides. Where does it come from? It doesn't come from Luther. It comes from scripture. It comes from the doctrines of scripture. And, and, and so let's get something straight too about, about free will because people say, oh, does that mean that I'm there's this, this fatalistic determination of my life and that I have no choice and I have no ability to choose anything? No, no, you can choose things Even non-Christians can choose things, but it's the nature of your desires, right? That are, it is is the result of your desires that are rooted on your nature that produces your choices. 
Let me, let me put up a quote and then I'll unpack it a little bit. Stephen D. West says this, free will means that all people have free will and that they are free to choose what they want to choose, but our desires, which lead to our choices, are affected by our natures so that those with a sinful nature only desire to choose sin. Do you understand what he's saying there? The problem is not our desire. The problem is our nature. And your nature produces the desires in your life. Your nature is the root of who you are. Out of the root of who you are come desires. Jesus said it. Out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, fornications, murders, adultery, slander, gossip. All, the, all these come from within and he defile a man. Your nature. Remember he says, uh, no one can get good fruit from a bad tree or or bad fruit from a good tree the, you will the, the tree is known by its fruit so it's not about changing the fruit a lot of christianity is about spray painting rotten fruit a lot of christianity i listen to the right christian music i go to the right christian church i go i i homeschool my kids i do all these i say i must be a christian no uh, you can spray paint rotten fruit it's not good fruit your nature needs to be changed the inward person needs to be changed. Your desires will change when the inward person is changed. Do you understand how important this is? And there's a big conversation right now in our world about mental health. There's a huge conversation about this. Mental health, mental health, mental health. The reason why people are struggling mentally with their health is because internally they are corrupted by sin. Their nature is corrupted. And their nature produces these corrupted desires. The corrupted desires uh, turn into corrupted choices. The corrupted choices produce corrupted fruit and get them all mixed up. And they wonder, I'm being true to myself, but I'm still getting horrible results. I don't understand what happened. You followed Erasmus. <clears throat> you believed that you could partner with God to make yourself into a better person. And what, what actually happened between the 16th century and the 21st century is eventually mankind just said, we don't need God anymore. We'll just make good choices. And we'll make up our own laws and make our own ways. And we're kind of in a, in, a, in a cultural judges moment where everyone is doing whatever he sees fit and eventually leads to civil war at the end of Book of Judges. And so that might be where we're headed to once again as the bloodiest century of human history was the 20th century with two world wars, untold genocide, and the murder of hundreds of millions of people in the name of the religion of the government. And so where we are right now now is ultimately the fruit of this idea that we can choose for ourselves to be better people on our own power and nothing, absolutely nothing could be further from the truth. We need God to change us from the inside out. If you've made it this far into this episode, I guarantee you it's worth it now. I know it's been a long roundabout, but we've got to get to these points because they matter for understanding the human nature. As Paul says in Romans 5, 19, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You're changed. You're transformed. You are made new. And let me say one last thing about the difference between Erasmus and Luther or Pelagius and Augustine or John Wesley and John Edwards, Jonathan Edwards. The only view that produces the most worship of God is the doctrine of God's sovereign grace in saving you. The only view that produces true worship of God is when you understand that the Lord Jesus, through no, uh, you know, in, in no response to your good works, just through no effort of your own, because of his sovereign grace and his sovereign will, reached down from heaven, 
transformed your heart, brought you back to himself, and made you a new person. That's the only view that produces thoroughly worshiping disciples. As uh, Martin Luther says in his book, The Bondage of the Will, a man cannot be thoroughly humbled till he realizes that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, counsels, efforts, will, and works, and depends absolutely on the will, counsel, pleasure, and work of another, God alone. These truths are published for the sake of the elect, that they may be humbled and brought down to nothing, and so be saved. My friends, I implore you to understand these scriptures because these scriptures produce a true worship of God. Your life is no longer defined by how much money you make, by who loves you or rejects you, by how many friends you have, by how popular you are, by how successful you are at your work. Those things are blessings that God can give you, but ultimately do not define you. You are a recipient of the grace and the power and the goodness of God. So let's get into what it means. Are you encouraged? I, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged because this this means so much. Number one, what it means to us, this passage from Romans 6, sin is slavery. Okay? And this is why you don't want to sin. This is why you don't want to sin because it will lead to more sin. Right? Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, but you become obedient from the heart to the standard teaching to which you were committed. Listen to me very carefully. Don't listen to anyone who says sin is harmless. Never listen to a Christian who says that you should just, you know, follow your heart. Uh, do what comes natural. Uh, if it makes you feel good, it can't be that bad. No. Sin is slavery. And yes, Christians can get caught up in a sin. That's why Galatians 6.1 says, if anyone is caught in a transgression... And he says, brothers, in the beginning of that verse, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, lest you also be tempted. Sin is not harmless, Christian. It is slavery, and you as a Christian can get into the slavery of sin once more. Doesn't mean that you're not saved. Just means that you're stuck in it, and it's going to lead to shame. That's secondly. Sin shames. Okay? So Romans 6.20, when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting? What, what fruit were you getting? You were shamed. Sin is a cruel task master. Sin demoralizes the Christian. It disables the mentality of a Christian. There are so many Christians that are depressed today. The reason why they're depressed is because they are not giving themselves over to God fully. The reason why they are mentally in anguish is because they do not follow the Lord. They think they can be saved and sin. You can't. It will shame you. It will destroy you. It will upend you. And it's just such an important truth that we are losing in the church today. We are losing and we need to get it back. Walk in righteousness. Walk in obedience. It's the only way you're going to be happy. Thirdly, sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, it is very possible, again, like I said, for a Christian to get caught up into a sin. If they do not repent, and I've said this earlier, I think I said in the last episode, if you do not repent as a Christian of a sin that you are caught in, God might kill you. <laughs> Remember, in, uh, there's a passage in 1 John chapter 5 where Paul says, uh, John says, um, there's a sin that leads to death. Don't pray about that one because that's going go to lead them. To, um, there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. Pray about that one. There are, there are sins that we can commit, Christian, that will lead to our death. And God will take us out of this life because, because we're just killing ourselves anyway. 
It was what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, many of you are sick and some of you have died because you do not discern the Lord's body around the Lord's Supper, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about that God disciplines those he loves. And if we submit to our earth, if we submit to our heavenly father, we shall live and not die. This idea that the Christians should just be flippant with sin is, is anathema because sin brings death. Now, on the flip side, ladies and gentlemen, God, who we become slaves of, is father. Sin is taskmaster. God is father. And that is what he wants. He wants to be your father. First Peter 1 Peter 1.17. And if you call in him as father, who judges impartially each according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Submit to the, the father of your spirits and live, Paul says. There is no other way to live as a Christian. Number two, God doesn't shame. He removes shame. He removes the shame of sin. First Peter 2, 6. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Look, this is the promise of God to everyone who believes that you have a, uh, you have a confidence in life because God has removed the shame of your sin and your own willful disobedience from your life. And then lastly, God brings life. First Corinthians 15, 45. Um, it says this, The first Adam became a life a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. God in the Holy Spirit comes in through the work of Jesus Christ into your life and brings you life and life eternal. As um, great theologian Roger Nicole puts it, he says, true freedom is the ability to fulfill one's destiny, to function in terms of one's ultimate goal. That is what God wants for you. He wants to set you free to become who he made you to be. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the freedom that Christ came to give you. So the final question is, who's your master? As Bob Dylan said, you're going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve sin or you're going to serve righteousness. You're going to serve God or the flesh in this world. Now let's talk about why all this matters. Uh, Why this matters? Because you're answering this question every day of your life. The question you are answering is, who is your master? Who is your master? Now, I touched on this earlier and I'm picking this back up right now. It is not so much something that you're serving as it is someone. Let me say that again. It is not so much something that you're serving. Money, let's face it, it's just money, right? You can lose it, you can gain it, you can have a lot of it and can still be miserable. I think that a lot of people who are chasing money are really trying to chase the approval of someone in your life or someone's people. I want to get a lot of money because I, I was raised in poverty and I was always ashamed of that. And so I need to have a lot of money to substantiate myself. Okay, that's, you're not serving money. You're serving the people's opinions of you. Maybe your own opinion of you. Some, you're the master of your. So it's not usually something. It's usually someone. Let me tell you why this matters. Because the sooner that you can identify that someone whom you have made master over the Lord, the sooner you can come clean, acknowledge it, repent of it, turn from it, reject them as Lord, and submit to Jesus as Lord. Because that's what some of you got to do today. Some of you today have got to reject mom or dad as Lord <coughs> and, get, and make Jesus Lord. I'm not telling children to disobey the parents. You obey your parents because your Lord tells you 
to obey your parents, but don't make your parents Lord so that when you grow up, you're still always longing for their approval, their appreciation, their thanks, their gratitude, whatever. You might not get that. Not saying that your parents have the right to treat you however they want. I'm saying just you don't let them be your master. Here's the point. Are you ready? This is a powerful point because usually there is someone behind the stupid decisions that we make. The person that grew up without a father is always seeking that father's approval and will try to get it any way they can. Untold homosexuals are right there. <clears throat> they want love from the same-sex parent. They never got it, so they search for it in a romantic relationship with a same-sex partner. And they're making these stupid decisions. And their nature's corrupted because that one person is their master. <clears throat> or there's somebody that you... Um, want to uh, date or marry. And, and so you make stupid decisions to appease them and to get their approval. Here's, here's how you flesh this out in your life. Who is the one person you don't want to let down? Who, who's the one person that you're trying to get approval from? Who's that one person that, that um, you know, if you don't hear a good job from them, you feel like a constant failure. That person has become your master. A great, a great way to flesh this out is to say, who, who not giving you a Christmas present or birthday present would disappoint you the most? That, that person might be your master. Secondly, why this matters? Because your actions lead to more similar actions. Your actions lead, <coughs> excuse me, sin does not just happen, it inhabits. Just as, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, leading to lawlessness. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Sin does not just happen. It enslaves. Same thing as righteousness. You become more righteous and more sanctified the more you offer yourself to God. Likewise, obedience is not just something we do, but something that forms who we are. And this is so important. In a generation that is obsessed with identity, Obsessed. We are obsessed with knowing who we are, where we come from, who we belong to, right? Christian, you belong to God. You come from God. You're going back to God. And so obedience to him is feeding who you are. It is feeding your identity. To sin as a Christian is to reject your identity. It is to renounce who you are in action. That's why Paul says, thanks be to God that we have been, we have been, uh, made, we have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. We have been, we have become slaves of righteousness. The, this is our identity in Christ Jesus. And this is why you obey, Christian. You obey because your obedience is commensurate with who you now are in Christ Jesus. And you cannot live in sin. You cannot live in the stuff that you used to live in. Let me sum this up by saying this. You are not free to sin you are free from sin. You are not free to do what you want. You are free to do what God made you to do. You are free, Christian, yes, in the sense that you are now free to do what God wants you to do. And this is so important because what God wants you to do is so much better than what you want to do. I'm telling you this, this is why it's good news because you don't know what you're going to be in 20 years, where you're going to be living, who's going to be around, what lot, what people are going to be in your life. God does. And he's going to map out your life the way he wants it to be because he made you, he loves you, he died for you, and he's still with you, and his ideas for you are so much better than your ideas for you yourself. And that's why your freedom 
is not to do what you want, but to do what God wants you to do. So in sum, let me say this finally, you realize it or not, you are right now becoming more of something and God has given his people the power to become more like him. You are either becoming more and more enslaved to sin or more and more enslaved to God, more and more like Christ Jesus. Good news, Christian. God has given you the power to become more like him. And that's what you want in life. You want to become more and more like Jesus. Because Jesus is living in the joy of the Father, the peace of the Father, the power of God, and the freedom of God. And in Christ Jesus, you can experience that as well. Amen. That's the teaching. Check out the channel, uh, social media channels, Tim Hatch Live across the board there. Check out the website, pick up some swag, pick up my book, which is right here on the desk with me. I wrote this book for you to help you, to bless you, to lead you. Uh, Post-COVID world, time to get moving. Check out the book at Tim Hatch Live or search Amazon. Uh, dot com search Tim Hatch move Tim Hatch move on Amazon.com and I promise I promise that this this segment is going to come back pretty soon 10 questions with Tim first Thursday of every month that's going to happen the first week of February we will be back with the deep end I believe next week no 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 I, no deep end next week only deep dive that's how we're going to balance the episode numbers so next week I will be back here on Wednesday night with the deep dive God bless you everybody have a wonderful night I'll see you next time on the channel